Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, everyone. A couple of housekeeping things before we we get started today. Uh, We have some visitors all the way from Leeds in the UK, and Sam and Michelle Linham are here as guests of the Yates today. Could you just wave at us back there? We don't get British people very often, so we just want to take a look at you and say hello and welcome. And uh, do I understand you'll be making the commute every week? That is amazing. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. Uh, Also... I have uh, a good report on our children's pastor. Uh, If you were here last week, that was scary. Let me me say how grateful I am to have the steady hand of Jason Smith uh, to be here and to help navigate the room through that. Lisa had uh, an episode, was here on the front steps. I'm happy to report that she's doing well. She's feeling better. She has already seen a doctor. She has promised us that she will see a specialist to just try to make sure uh, that everything is okay. Uh, You might be praying for her. She is in Illinois with her dad, um, who has recently returned from the hospital and is now in hospice care. So you might just pray for her and for Doug. and the whole family, but she wanted me to tell you that she has received lots of notes and messages checking on her, and uh, this morning, here's what she said, you all make me feel special, and uh, that's a good thing because she is, and uh, so let's continue to think about and pray for her. Welcome to the season of Pentecost. Pentecost has its own season. It's the longest of the seasons, actually. It is about six months, give or take a few Sundays there, about six months. Sometimes known as ordinary time, sometimes known as common time, but every time, every year, it is meant to be, as far as the lectionary texts are concerned, it is meant to be a season during which we are trained to uh, take up the mission of God. We are trained to, to respond to the calling of God to be the people of God and to implement the victory of God to implement the victory of God all over creation. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, but I want to talk to you first about super teams. There is a sense in which, there's a sense in which, and we talked about it a little bit two weeks ago, that the academy is meant to train us to do some pretty big and important things. Now, that doesn't mean that we're a great superhero team, right? It means that God's good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are a great superhero team. And so I looked up this week, what in all of comic book history is the worst superhero team of all time. And friends, there's an answer to that. 
I present to you the Great Lakes Avengers. <laughs> I kid you not. There is such a squad known as the Great Lakes Avengers. And here's kind of the life cycle of their particular story. In the late 80s, Hawkeye, with the bow and arrow right here, one of the original Avengers, was tasked with gathering another super group, and he was going to train them and unleash them on all of the crime spree that you can imagine takes place all the time around the Great Lakes. That part I don't get at all, right? Um, it didn't work out. So the comic book uh, itself and the, the series itself was pretty dramatically unpopular. It didn't, and so much so that they decided that they were going to kind of lean into its unpopularity and say, yeah, this group that we have probably originally thought would be a great group, this group was a loser group. And we are going to let it be understood as such. So they would, part of their story arc was like they would gather and fail. <laughs> they would gather to do something big and important and then fail. And why not? I mean, let me tell you about a few of the luminaries that you see on the screen here in front of you. There is sort of bottom left-hand corner, Squirrel Girl. I kid you not, Squirrel Girl. What kind of powers does she have? Well, the powers of a squirrel, okay? <laughs> uh, top left-hand corner, that is the menacing grasshopper. And when I looked up the grasshopper's special powers and ability, abilities, here's what it said. It says, grasshopper can jump really long distances and can see lots of stuff with its buggy eyes. <laughs> like, well, that doesn't sound too scary either. Right there next to grasshopper is Flatman, and his power, the only one that I can discern, is that he can go so flat that he ultimately is two-dimensional. Now, why that's a superpower? You can kind of see why maybe they weren't super effective. Uh, Squadron, that is Big Bertha, seems indelicate, but there's Big Bertha there. It's a superhero team that didn't work, that didn't work. Ragtag bunch of superheroes that didn't work. Sometimes I feel ragtag. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I might belong in this group. Man, I don't know what you're doing on Wednesday nights, but for the next couple of Wednesday nights, there is a phenomenal thing happening here over here in, in room five. Like my friend uh, Eric Jurgensen and I, and last week Dr. Green was there, and it's a class called the Justice League. Now, there's a superhero group, right? The Justice League there. But we are kind of a ragtag gathering over there in, in, in room five, trying to figure out what it means to be on God's team. What does it mean? And this past week, Dr. Green really helped us. Let me try to sum up, and, and if I don't get this quite right, and I likely won't, that's Dr. Green right there. Please contact him and say, now what was he talking about? Because he can, he can explain it better than I can. But here we go. Listen to this line. Covenant is the premise of creation. Oh, think about that. Covenant, God's covenant that God offers to creation is the premise of creation. Creation was designed with this thought in mind, that covenant, the covenant between God and the people of God would operate it, would, would like operate all of creation, and it would be, as we see in the creation narratives, it would be good, 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 and very good. Now here's the thing, that covenant between God and the people of God was crucial. And so long as that covenant was embodied and enacted, things were good, 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 very good. But covenant keeping is a team sport. 
And one part of the team decided not to keep the covenant. And when one part of the team, and it wasn't God's part, decides not to keep the covenant, here is the result. Ready? Chaos. Chaos is the result of humanity opting out of the covenant. But not just chaos, devastation. I mean, that's what you see, that's what's played out in artistic terms in the Genesis narratives, right? There is chaos, there is devastation, and ultimately, everybody, there's death. Death is the logical consequence of opting out of the covenant with God. So far, so good. Dr. Green, how am I doing? Good? Good. All right. And so you have these stories, story after story after story, that demonstrates the ramifications of opting out, opting out of all of these, uh, of the covenant with God, all of these different ramifications, and it just kind of looks like, it looks like throughout the entirety, really, of the Old Testament that things are just deteriorating. Now, you do have prophets who say, someday, someday God will move in a decisive way, and we'll start what we heard about Wednesday night that was called the cleanup effort, the rehabilitation effort, the restoration effort. The, the prophets, and my favorites are in the last part of the book of Isaiah, dreamed right out loud, there will be a time when God will get God's way, and God will come back, and the cleanup effort will begin in earnest. And then there was this baby, this baby is born right there at the beginning of the New Testament. We're told that this baby has a royal lineage, like we're told with the begats, you know, that whole thing. We're told that this baby ultimately is the son of God. We're told in the book of John that this is the word, capital W. This is the word. The word that was in the beginning with God and was God. We're told that in response to chaos, devastation, and death, we're told that God makes a major move to come back and start the cleanup effort, and that cleanup effort is started in the name and in the person of the one that we call Jesus. And all God's people said, oh man, Whew. And so, when Jesus says, in me the kingdom has come near, you need to know what this kingdom means. The, the kingdom is the cleanup effort. The, the kingdom, in all of its forms, is the cleanup effort. And, and here's something really important, and I want to tell you, I, I think it's possible to go to church all your life and miss this part. Ready? Here it is. To be Christian, to be Christian, is not just to bring one's morality under control. There have been systems prior to Christianity to help you try to bring your morality under control. To be Christian is to join Christ in the reclamation, restoration, reconciliation effort. To be a Christ one, to be people of the way, is to join Jesus, to join God in this stubborn dream that it can all be better than what it is now. Ragtag as we might be, turns out it doesn't depend on the ragtag group. It depends on the one who initiated the covenant, who embodies the covenant, and invites us back to the covenant in Christ. So far, so good? Yes, 
your, your morality is important. Do not hear me say, oh great, pastor told me I could do whatever I want now. That is not true. What you do hear me say though is, God has a bigger and better dream than that you would just be well behaved. The dream of God is that you would be a partner with God and a working piece in the process of bringing all things back to God. Hopefully, that makes some sense. Let's, let's get some idea. If you have your Bibles, I am gonna get to the verses that were read earlier today, but I'm gonna go back a little bit. So here is Jesus, who appears, and with him, the kingdom has come near. The cleanup effort has begun, and here is just an example of the cleanup effort that Jesus is enacting. Verse 27, as Jesus went on, two blind men followed him, crying loudly, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that the cleanup effort starts with me? And they said to him, yes. And then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. Then, there, then Jesus sternly ordered them, now don't go blabbing about this. You're going to get me in trouble. So just hang in there. But I do want you to notice that Jesus touched them. Do you know what ancient Jews in a purity culture that they were in, you know what they weren't supposed to do? Touch ugliness or dirtiness or dead things. You just weren't supposed to. Because here's why. If you touch the chaos, if you touch the devastation, if you touch the death, here's what will happen. You will get infected, and you know what happens when you get infected? You're out. Because we gotta keep this thing pure, right? So don't go out there and, and, and touch open wounds, Jesus. <laughs> Why in the world would Jesus go out and touch open wounds unless he understood something about the touch that was actually greater than the wound? And it's not, it doesn't stop with that. But they went away and spread the news about him throughout the district, and after they had gone away, a demoniac who was mute was brought to him. Okay, don't touch chaos, don't touch devastation, don't touch death, and Jesus, for whatever, please don't touch the demons. They will infect you, Jesus. When the demon had been cast out, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed and said, what in the world? There's no way he's actually more powerful than a demon's, right? I tell you what, here's what they said about Jesus. I bet he kind of is a demon. I bet that's the only way he has power. Because like, certainly the demons have the most power, right? Evil has the most power, right? Kind of leaves it there. And then you get to our verses. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages cleaning up as he went, rehabilitating as he went, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. I, this is maybe my favorite verse about Jesus. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is too good, there's too, too much here for me just to just read it and pass it. That word translated as compassion, you probably have heard this before. Here, here's what this literally means. Jesus felt it in his gut, what he felt for these people. 
what he felt for these people still in the clutches of chaos, still in the clutches of devastation and death, what he felt, he felt in his gut. Have you ever felt something in your gut? Have you ever had that sinking feeling in your gut? That's what Jesus had. And why did he have it? This is loaded language too, because they were harassed and helpless, like living sheep who had been skint. That's part, part of the implication there. Like sheep without a shepherd. Now that's a shot across the bow. This is lifted out of Ezekiel 34, where God through the prophet has very harsh things to say about bad leadership. Here's what God says about bad leadership within the community of faith. Bad leadership within the community of faith hurts the sheep. Hurts the sheep. So this is a judgment statement about how the religious institution was damaging the sheep in their care in that moment. Jesus sees that they don't have good leadership. In fact, they have oppressive leadership, and he feels it in his gut. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Heard this before, right? The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask actually says beg. Beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Doesn't actually say that either. It says to cast out, to push folks out there to do the work because we're in that kind of a desperate situation. We can do the cleanup effort, but we gotta have folks to go. Because too many of those folks in the religious institution right now feel like all they're supposed to do is feel better and be better and be better behaved. Beg the Lord of the harvest to shove folks out of their nests, <laughs> to shove folks out into real life, to do the hard work of reconciliation and restoration. Now, you can take issue with this if you want, but I want you to, to catch the gravity of the situation. The Lord of the harvest is fully capable of touching wounds and overcoming them. The Lord of the harvest is fully capable of the cleanup effort, the restoration effort, and still seems to want and need more folks to be a part of the effort. Is that because God's too small? I don't know, you can have that argument if you want. Talk to Dr. Green, he can do that with you. But God does seek help. Christ does seek help. I know people who will fervently pray, <laughs> Lord, send out more workers into the harvest field, so long as it's not me. I'm super busy already, God, or else I would. May God send the people who are able to do it, who would make really good heroes, who have time to do it, and the money to do it, and God, you know I'm not any of those. God, bless my efforts in being Christian by helping me to be healthy, and well-behaved. God, send out other people into the harvest. And so Jesus gathers this group around him. <laughs> 
So Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them his authority to accomplish the cleanup effort. This is crazy to me. That, that Jesus would entrust, not just anybody, but entrust this ragtag group of people to, uh, to overcome unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to cure every disease and every sickness. Now, this is very interesting, right? It, it's, and I don't think, listen, I, I don't think it's just that one of the disciples can come by and say, is that a whooping cough? Boom, whoop, it's gone, right? Is that the cold? It's gone. I, I think it's a whole lot more complex than that. Just like illness and unhealth, is today. I think there's a spiritual dimension, let's say, in Flint, Michigan, where the water's bad, <laughs> where there are systems and processes that result in bad water, and guess what bad water does? It makes people sick. Healing can take a variety of forms, in that case, maybe, maybe they have authority to go by and help people to recover from whatever it is that bad water has done to them, but I think healing, in this case, also takes the form of saying, why can't we have cleaner water? That's a part of the cleanup effort as well. Everybody seeing that? And to whom did Jesus entrust this important work? Ready for this? Well, these are the names of the 12 apostles, which here means the, the sent ones. Apostles are people who are sent. First, Simon, also known as Peter, failure, very public failure, three times and his brother, Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee's brother, John, failures, these are the folks who really wanted their names on the marquee. Jesus, can we be famous in your name? But these are the ones who are sent. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the Roman sympathizer. <laughs> what? He sent a tax collector. Tax collectors still aren't popular, they were way not popular back here. And not only did you have Matthew the tax collector, after you see here James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, then you have this name, Simon the Canaanian. And in some other places in scripture, this is Simon the Zealot. Let me try to explain this to you. You had a Roman sympathizer in Matthew and someone who was willing to use violence to overthrow Rome in Simon the Zealot. And my suspicion is Jesus might have sent them out together. You know why? Because the kingdom was near. And when Matthew and Simon the Zealot could look at one another and say, man, you are, you are categorically and chronically wrong at one another, right? Then they were asked to go together, maybe even arm in arm, to announce the kingdom. You guys. Hang on just for a second, though, bro. But what if, what if a Democrat and a Republican could be Christian together? Call the news station. <laughs> By the way, it didn't stop there. Look at that last name there, Judas Iscariot. And lest you forget, Scripture says, and this is the one who would betray Jesus. Friends, you thought the Great Lakes Avengers were bad. <laughs> this redefines ragtag. And it worked. 
And it worked. All right, this next part's hard. I wish, this is one of those parts of the sermon, I wish we had seat, can we have seat belts installed in the pews, Jason? Can you explore that? Okay. Ready? These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. We're not ready to go amongst the Gentiles, he said. <laughs> We're not ready to go amongst the people who are out and about. But go and go to no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to where the people of God are not quite getting it right. And you can tell they're not quite getting it right because there are people who are suffering within the ranks of the people of God, the Israelites, within that particular religious tradition. There were people who were suffering chaos, devastation, and death. Jesus is saying, hey, what do we have to say to the Gentiles so long as we have this ugliness in our own home? Now, you know this. I preached on this a couple weeks ago. There comes a point at which we are sent out everywhere, everywhere, all the nations, right? In this moment, Jesus is giving a very specific nod to the reality that there is within the people of God as they are understood right now, the people of Israel, there is within that particular system chaos and devastation and death. And they are called to go to their own tradition, seek out the people who have been damaged by it, and offer them the cleanup effort. That's hard, isn't it? I told you, seatbelts. He said, okay, as you go, proclaim the good news, even to these religious folks who Jesus seems to be saying are not doing their religion very well. But here's what you should say to them. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And as you come across these folks who have been devastated by the chaos, devastated by the death and the deathly circumstances, Look what they're asked to do. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Ragtag. But plenty. Ragtag. But certainly sufficient enough to take on this task of the cleanup effort, the restoration effort, the reconciliation effort, plenty because they are sent. They don't just go, they are sent, which then says, man, the one who is sending is important. I, I went with my dad this week to General Assembly, the land of the Nazarenes in uh, in Indianapolis, and I have already asked permission from my dad to tell you what I'm about to tell you, okay? All in all, Dr. Green, it was a pretty good week. It's a pretty good week. Some things were disappointing, no doubt. Some things were disappointing, but there were some inspirational moments, and I'm gonna show you what I, a video that reached me. But there was some nonsense, too. And, and here's what I mean by nonsense. There, there was some slander. 
there was an effort to manipulate and overpower. Y'all, right there amongst these sweet people known as Nazarenes. Right, right there amongst these people known as at least one portion of the people of God, there, there was some nonsense. Nonsense. And the nonsense brought chaos. The nonsense unleashed, at least for a while, some semblance of devastation. Like the, We watched as a person was torn down, nearly torn apart. I would say that while there was some nonsense, and some of you watched this this week, I would say it's not just nonsense, but maybe they even unleashed some deathly situations. Now, I am, I am grateful for the ways in which leadership, some from the floor, and then some from the front, came around and said, this is not who we are, we can't do this, we can't do this. And I'm happy to report that by and large, they were able to resist the incursion of, man, I'm choosing my words very carefully on the fly, can you tell? Resist the incursion of the voices that would otherwise have brought chaos and devastation and deathly circumstances. You can't, you don't have anything to offer the Gentiles in your life if you don't at least have an eye toward the ugliness that's in the house already. Another way to say it is, we are absolutely called to the victims of chaos, devastation, and death within our own tent. We are absolutely called to them. The cleanup effort includes them. <laughs> the restoration effort has to include them if we're going to have a shred of credibility when we move outside of the wall. The world's going to say to us, don't come at me with this message of hope if you are so quick to shoot your wounded. Everybody hear that? And Jesus seems to have been saying to his disciples, scoop up the wounded. But Jesus, some of them are dirty, like demon-possessed, dirty, <laughs> sick with leprosy, open wounds, very dirty. And some of them are dead. That's the dirtiest. And Jesus says, yes, I want you to go touch them all. I want you to wrap God's arms through you. I want you to wrap God's arms around them because you're being sent in the confidence that the touch of healing and restoration is greater than the wound itself. Well, who's supposed to go? Well, you are. I am. Well, John, you're the pastor. Correct. <laughs> and you're supposed to go too. You know why? Because you're Christian. And this is what it means to be Christian. N.T. Wright said it like this. <clears throat> 
This is a good quote. I'm going to read the whole thing. Outside of the Lord's Prayer itself, Jesus doesn't often tell his followers what to pray for, but this time he does. Go to the farmer, he says, and beg him to send workers to bring in the harvest. And as his followers pray that prayer, the answer comes back worryingly quickly. (laughs) You are yourselves to be the answer to your own prayer. You have a mission. You are sent. You're propelled by God's love and it will not relent until you go. But wait, before you go, you should know what you're taking with you. What is it God will give you to further God's healing in broken places and spaces where faces have fallen into injustice? What has Jesus left us to lift up those lost in a lurch? Brothers and sisters of the church, the question isn't what, it's who. It's the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. That's who Jesus left for me and for you, and the Holy Spirit is always more than enough. Tune your ear and you'll hear it. The reign of God's love, it started within, but then it took to the winds. It penetrates, permeates, saturates the air, so you can know wherever you go, God's already there. Continuing God's mission just means learning to listen. It means to build upon what's already being done, lives being saved and hearts being won, reclaiming those trapped in exploitation, leading our lands toward total transformation. There's no need to wait for further proclamation. You have a mission. You are sent. But wait, before you go, you should know what it meant. The gift of the Spirit meant we would have peace. What if everywhere we went, peace was released like the breath from our lungs? What if peace was so tangible we could reach out and grab it? So the question is, do you have it? The Spirit and God's peace? If so, then you're set and you are as ready as you're ever going to get. So go, don't wait to relate or for further debate on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The thing is, God's plan needs you to move, so do it and count on resistance and the spirit to help you push through it. You have a mission. You are sent. You're repelled by God's love so we cannot relent until everyone knows the name of Jesus. It's not time for us to pause or lay low. It's time for the church to get up and go. General Assembly, isn't that good? So good. Just walk around with, with Dad in the exhibit hall. It's really funny. He didn't, I don't think he knew that there was an exhibit hall because he was busy at other General Assembly. <laughs> was like, wow, this is great. What is this? <laughs> it was a great place for the people of God to bump into one another. And a lot of people that bumped into me, some that I didn't know, said a lot about you. We watch, we follow. One young lady said, you permission us to do church the way that we would like to do it. Y'all, that's pretty cool. Because I still think we're ragtag. I still think we're ragtag. But I do think that we have learned over a period of time, in particular around the table, that we have received without payment. We have received 
freely. We're reminded of that truth. And I do think there is something about coming each and every week that slowly but surely builds within us this imagination that says we have received freely. We are being prepared to give freely. In the video, I said, there are two things on offer to you, the spirit of the resurrected Christ and peace. I don't know of a better place to find it, but here. Here, where we remember and rehearse our origin story, which doesn't start with us, ragtag that we are. It starts with the one who allows us to borrow authority. It starts with the one who sees fit to partner with us. It starts with the one who loved us before we made a move to love God. God demonstrates his love for us in this. Remember this? While we were still sinners, Christ started this whole thing by dying for us, living and dying and living for us. So do you need another helping of the Spirit? Well, come get it. Do you need another helping of the peace that's on offer to you or come get it and find yourself resourced to be the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given and take your rightful place next to God as a partner with God in what it means to be Christian to take part in the cleanup effort. If you were helping us today, would you go ahead and come down and set this table because if there are other people in the room like me, kind of need another reminder that this is who God is, this is how God reaches to us, and this is who we can be. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. It feels like a poignant moment, God when we recognize that around the table you have extended yourself to us all over again. Bless these elements, these pieces of bread and sips from the cup. Bless these elements and remind us again of how it is that you have organized and resourced us. Shape our imaginations and then God shape our bodies, shape us as a body, that we might be the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given for a world that still seems harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. May we see around us the evidence of chaos, devastation, and death, and see it not as situations to be avoided, but as situations that require a faithful touch, a touch strong enough because of your authority that you have gifted to us a touch that is strong enough to overcome the most deathly, the most diseased, the most demon-possessed situations that we'll ever encounter. And all of this because you are who you are. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped, if you will, to receive this gift of grace as a gift, because that's what it is. You, you can't buy it, swipe it, charge it. It comes to you as a gift. Freely you have been given. <laughs> freely you have received, now freely give. 
Now, who is eligible to come? All of you who understand your need for grace, and that would include me, all of us then are welcome to come if we understand our need for grace. But I did something I think this morning that would disqualify me. Then you probably are aware of your need for grace, which qualifies you. You are welcome to come to this table. But you don't have to. All are invited, none are compelled. But if you are coming, as you approach the person holding the piece of bread, just wait until someone presses a piece of bread into your hand and says, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is that story that we're telling all over again. Don't take that bread and eat it just yet, but take it and dip it into the cup. When you do, that person's gonna say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Again, that's that story, our origin story. And then take and eat. And then you have a decision to make. Will you circle right back around and pray at your seats? Perfectly acceptable. God can hear prayers from all over the room. I've tested it. God can hear you. If you want to come to one of the side padded altars, somebody will meet you there and pray a prayer for healing. We'll assume that you're there for a prayer for healing. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational. There are all kinds of wounds and there's all kinds of healing available for you. You may want to come to one of these mourner's benches, these kneeling benches up front, and, and here's our promise. We won't assume anything, but at some point, somebody will come by and let you know that you're just not alone because you're not. I would encourage you. I know it's a long walk, and we're going to think about putting these bowls of water in different places around the sanctuary, but I would encourage you to consider at least making a special trip to remember that you're a part of the team. <laughs> this is the baptismal font here. And some of you need to be reminded of your baptism. The baptismal pool is a place where we say right out loud, probably most public def definitive statement, that you belong on the team that is doing the cleanup effort, the reconciliation effort, the restoration effort, the rehab effort. You belong. And if you've forgotten, may you be reminded right here as you dip your fingers into this water. Justice is not extra credit work. It's who we are because it's who God is. May we all be healed from thinking that it's extra credit. Healed. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way he would take the cup hold it up before them and say, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to shape and resource the people of God called by God.